What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, as always, Blake Law. This is episode 52 of the podcast, and we are very excited you were able to join us once again. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that's exactly what this show aims to do. We are going to interview an elite player who has lost one to two games at a major event. We're going to talk about the mistakes they may or not have made and how they plan to learn from those mistakes moving forward. How often have you blamed a game on bad dice? We've all done it. I've done it. Every single person on this planet has done it even not even in warhammer just in life blaming dice you know what i'm saying i like to imagine that the event we're going to discuss today is a mad max type event where motorized nerds are ravaging the hallways of a hotel in gangs we are headed to michigan for the appropriately named motor city mayhem and brad may or may not be with us today as he may have gotten rampaged in the mayhem we're going to talk about everyone's favorite army blood angels and we're going to talk about everyone's least favorite army boo Tyranids. Now, this is part one. In part one, we are going to analyze the game. We're going to talk about common mistakes. We're going to talk about secondaries, target priority, and all of the above. Part two, which is available to subscribers at theartofwar40k.com. We are going to talk about all the strategies and list adjustments, all the meat and potatoes of this army. We're going to talk about how it plays into your army, Brad's army, my army, everybody's army out there. And we're going to talk about the one, the only, the trademark elite player mindset. Now, my co-host today, he barely survived the post-apocalyptic Michigan this weekend. He was the winner previously of the Michigan GT. He is a nine-time member of Team USA. He won Adepticon times 1,000 plus one divided by three. He has three top eight LVO finishes. He's the Armed Forces GT champion of 2021. He's a 2021 ACO champion runner-up against Workshop New Orleans. Surprisingly, still the Prime Minister of Canada because he won the Studs and Stotlings event last year. And I'm going to put it out there one more time and then I'm going to let it go forever. He is the begrudging winner of Adepticon Teams 2022, Mr. Brad Chester. Woot woot. Now, you said you're always here as my co-host, but this is untrue because you did, did leave me with no adult supervision two episodes ago. It's the one. It's the only time in a year, Brad. It, actually, I went a full year. I made sure <sighs> I went a full year of leaving you supervised. I do one time. Takes a village to raise a Brad. Takes a village to raise a Brad. I was very disappointed with myself. I feel like I should have been there. I, uh, I, let, I let the listeners down. I let I let Warhammer community at large down actually, so I apologize to everyone out there listening. <laughs> Our guest today is currently part of Team Canada WTC squad. He is currently the top ranked Blood Angel player globally. Last season, he finished number one in Canada overall for Blood Angels. He was number two globally for Blood Angels. He finished top five in the very first major, the same one that Brad won, Studs and Snotlings, last year, and he's had several top finishes over the last year, including. Best Marines at the one, the only Motor City Mayhem, which we are talking about from this past weekend. I am, of course, talking about, oh my good Lord, I do not know how to say your name. I'm, I am so excited <laughs> about this one, by the way. Let me help you out. First up, Sam. Sam. Okay. I'm going to say yeah. Sam Procopio. Oh. Procopio. You almost hit it on the button. Oh, I hit it. I feel like I hit it. I feel like that counts, I'm Brad. so disappointed. He destroys names every week. Was that right? And he got closest with yours. Ah! 
I got it. That yeah. was a hard one too. I feel like I. Oh man. I got out of voice, Blake. That's, that's the first. That's the first in like forty episodes, man. Oh. oh what I do need to know. One. Who won uh, Blood Angels last year? I thought you did win. I would have like uh, put money on that. Yeah, no, I I believe uh, Junior Flahey had some really big results early on, and because of COVID in Canada, and I'm sure you guys were familiar with the situation over here, but uh, we yeah, took yeah. things a, a little bit too seriously, um, you know. Oh, we first, I guess. Yeah, yeah just just a wee bit. So uh, I wasn't able to make a Del Vio. As uh, many of my compatriots were, weren't able to, but uh, that, that's kind of what resulted in it. Gotcha, gotcha. I forgot that. That I, I actually thought you were. I was going to give you one for a long time, man. Like you, you were on my on my want, my wanted list for like an entire season. So I'm really excited we finally got you on here to talk some Blood Angels because I love Blood Angels. That's like my one of my top three armies, as everyone knows. Ooh, love it. Yeah. I mean, we did do an entire lore video about it. We did. We did a lore video on Blood Angels. <laughs> we did. Devastation of Ball. Yeah. So we rocked it out. Tell me about the... We were, I mean, we were both at the same tournament. Tell me about the tournament we were both standing at looking at. Yeah, no, it was uh, actually my first time crossing the border um, to actually play an event um, in the States. So, I mean, I was super excited and super nervous just because I, I, put, I tend to put a lot of pressure on myself uh, going to events like this. Um, maybe for those of you who don't really know me listening, um, I am fairly new to the competitive scene. And I, I know I was able to achieve some success last year and, you know, hoping to only get better from here. But uh, it was definitely a bit nerve wracking to, uh, to head over there and, uh, you know, compete amongst the best. But was, was really looking forward to it. And upon arrival, you know, you could really tell that it was a great atmosphere with just great individuals visuals all around and uh believe it or not americans are not are not evil people <laughs> for some reason it's always a it's always a canada versus u.s thing and honestly it just it just felt like you know a great crowd and you kind of forget about those things real quick but you know it, it was it was awesome so many great people so many great players and it was just uh, amazing to take in the whole weekend alongside you guys i do want to point out before we go any further that brad is a villain so don't lump the rest of us in with Brad. He he. Let's be let's be clear. He's the villain of the story. If, I don't know if I'm a villain. I think I'm just the 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 drunken jester that wanders about aimlessly. You're like that. You're an ominous force, just kind of winking. You're, yeah, you're an force. ominous force known as Brad Chester, just kind of there. Yeah. You know that the, the tournament was crazy when you looked at all the people that came in. It was uh, it, if you lost a game, you were still going to play somebody good. There was a pretty deep roster of like quality players. Dude, it was stacked, man. I was I was following it all week, and I was like, I was like, who is who's Jack playing now? Like, who is like Nick playing? Like, what in the just, world? It was yeah. just it was good top to bottom. I think that it was a very very tough tournament on that. What did you think? We we played a modified version of the GW train. We used type two the entire week, but you could you were able to actually rotate the big mm-hmm. ruins basically effectively whatever way you wanted. Uh what did you think about that terrain setup and how did it affect your army? Yeah, so of course naturally I, I practiced quite a bit um on on both of the layouts in, in uh you know in anticipation for the event. I feel like preparation away from the tournament is definitely key, especially when you know when you're someone like myself that only plays one faction through and throughout. Um you definitely have to be at the top of your game to compete into these top different factions that are always stomping the you know the top three spots, so to speak. So, you know, overall I did feel that uh the table layout two that we stuck with definitely was able to help me just because I'm someone who does favor more centrally located um objectives. The only thing that was a bit difficult to adjust to at times was just between table to table and nothing against the event or anything but just there was some that were completely opaque uh, in the middle just because of the nature of them even though i think there was some rulings on they should always count as the two middle ones being you know open line of sight yeah true line of sight for the two middles and everything else opaque some of them were bigger than the others they were transitioning into into different the bigger trains i wish that all of them had used the uh the larger use it's usually i'm 
talking with my right. hands and no one can see me. But they had uh, the ruins themselves, the big, the four big ruins. Uh, some right. of them, like basically half or more of the tables had the larger style ruin. And then the other ones had kind of the older, which had less yeah. depth to the side walls. So that did make a difference because it can let you do whatever you wanted. And I veed them quite often to make them fair for both players. Yeah, no, that's a very fair assessment. And that's kind of what, what I quickly was able to do. And I, I'm someone who's very uh, vocal before the game begins, um, whether I'm playing someone who I have no idea um, who they are or someone who, I, who I'm you know friends with. I like to make sure that we, it's always feeling like it's a very you know fair and balanced game from the get-go. So um, definitely that sportsmanship before the game and having that quick conversation is, is really everything. Because at the end of the day, even if you agree with your opponent um, to have a fair-mannered game with you know allocating what's where and you know what equals what, uh, I feel like that just kind of sets the stage for the for the best possible match that uh, that's why he's the good guy in this story brad right there that's why he's that's why he's the canadian canadian hero here i follow the conversation man he, he had, if you play by intent which i try to do all the time you still have to have that conversation with your opponent yeah. to, so that you agree you're not just stating things i'm yeah. doing this you know you have to be like do you agree that i can be here unseen or i'm trying to do this or i'm trying to be more than one inch away from the wall or blah 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 so i right. i think it's really important to talk brad did you feel like uh, how y'all did the GW train in this fixed a lot of your concerns for that map? You feel like it was a good thing? Yeah, it's just it depends on what they had. The, the, the guys over at DOG uh, do a really good job of having really good tables and everything's well painted. It looks really good, but there's always going to be the GW terrain is really, really good, but it also has its own set of flaws. You know what I mean? When you're using those giant blocks, it always makes it semi-odd for line of sights and stuff like that. A lot of times you feel like it's going to be more blocking than it is because people can get those angles if you want to push up. So if you're playing an army like Sam's or mine that's very, very infantry focused, if somebody goes first and is a very fast army, they're playing something like, you know, Harlequins, other craft world, the Tyranids, you know, Tau, where they're going 18, uh, you can be surprised a lot of times if you play on one of the boards that has a smaller ruin and the, the ruin's still decent size but it basically how far it goes on each side they can catch angles and catching angles early uh you're still just standing there so <laughs> the ninth yeah. edition is super super lethal so uh that's why it's important to talk with your opponent also about where you think they can go and what you're trying to do so that you're not getting shot basically first turn because that will give you a feels bad right away if you think you're hiding and your opponent's like nope you're right there <laughs> Yep. That you know, that's a good point because man, like some of the worst encounters I had in ninth edition were people being like, "Gotcha," you know, like I took this angle. You're like, I don't know about that, you know. They just didn't talk about it beforehand. Yeah, that's a big thing. Just have the yeah. conversation. I think I can force almost anybody into at least a decent game. You just have to have a continuing conversation. Not you know, you don't just start. You do exactly what Sam was talking about. You set those parameters right away. Ask how they're going to handle things. How you're going to handle certain pieces of terrain. What you're looking at, and then just state every turn. Basically, this is what I'm trying to do. Sam moves his secondary guard up. He's like, what? I want to do measure pre-measures my guys and says I want to try to be where if you move your maximum distance that you cannot see me do we agree sure man I mean I'm easy because I'm too lazy I'm drinking my wine and I won't even get out of my chair so <laughs> I'm clearly good with that but like as long as you have your opponent and once you both agree to that then it's just a done deal you know what I mean it doesn't matter what happens the next turn because you've already measured it out you've agreed to it so you you basically just have that whether it's the greatest person in the universe once you set those expectations and you've talk to them at a two-way conversation you know what i mean you, that yeah. you're gonna have a better game you can just force people into having a good time you're like damn it we're gonna have fun with our toys whether you like it or not 
Yeah, and like just just to chime in real quick, just just like maybe I'm I'm I'm, I'm I feel like I'm notorious for this just in general, but I, I'm someone who always likes to give someone the uh, benefit of the doubt uh, when I'm playing against them, just because um, I, I don't I don't feel good uh, beating someone when they're not at their best, or just because they made that one mistake more than you. So you know, and obviously I know we're going to touch in, into the game uh, shortly, but for example, at one point uh, the gentleman that I played against, you know, forgot to cast psychic power, and we had moved on, but um, I I didn't even think about it because the psychic phase felt like it lasted forever with like eight. <laughs> eight to ten casts and then when the dust settled uh he, he did actually forget to cast with the one guy who he didn't end up casting with so as long as he didn't cast i felt comfortable being like oh you forgot with uh you know your neuro throw for example to do the power so i mean like in, in theory could that have won me the game i i guess so but it's just like it, i don't want to take advantage yeah, of, a, puts the of a weird moment up. like that yeah, it puts yeah that exactly. you never want your wins to have asterisks on them, yeah you know i mean yeah no chance. I would never take that. Tell me about your list. Tell me about you what you brought. Yeah, so I can run you quickly top top to bottom, and obviously we can we can dive deeper if you, if you have any questions on it. So I mean, it, it was a single battalion. Um, starting off with the uh, agents of the Imperium slot, I brought six voidsmen. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure you can see right through what that decision uh, is for, and that's just a really really simple you know retrieve unit that I have built into the list. But I'm pretty sure I take retrieve 90% of the time, if, if not more. So I definitely have to build that into my list. That's going to be a game plan. Um, then going into the uh, characters, I have my uh, my chapter master with Relic Blade and Infernal Pistol. Um, and I've been running this character like so for about, I would like to say, a month after the Blood Angel Codex came out. Again, I'm not trying to say I was the person who invented this combo. I'm, I'm pretty sure anybody with, with any knowledge of just reading take the book would have it. picked it up. Immediately take um, credit for it. Your copy yeah. is your baby. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's felt like my baby. And it's it's the uh, the old, uh, you know, Rites of War plus Angelic Visage. And for those of you who don't know what that means, you know, he's giving off the obstacle aura for characters in core uh, around him, including himself. And uh, Angelic Visage is minus one to hit in combat, which is the cute part, but then the, the important part is uh, that he's able to turn off OPSEC uh, from all enemy units within three inches. So, I mean, you put two and two together, he could, you know, pretty much flip an objective at any point, and he's uh, absolutely crucial to my entire game plan. Um, and then also, because of the meta, I mean, in general, I've always ran this um, second, sorry, this uh, extra warlord trade on him anyway, which is Soul Warden, which is a five of heal no pain against all mortal wounds. So big, um, especially it, in this meta right now. Oh, Jesus. I've, I've had that also on him for the last, I would want to say, almost two years. <laughs> Just because when I first cut the book, uh, my buddy was bringing uh, Thousand Suns and uh, oh, Monster gosh. Mash lists, and I was like, "Well, you know what? I think that's going to be helpful in this tailored, <laughs> this tailored game that we play every week." But it just stuck with me, and I realized that even in games where I wasn't going into armies who would, you know, crap out twenty mortal wounds or whatever, um, those key mortal wound saves just here and there from that one character that could pop off and do mortal wounds on sixes, or you know what I'm talking about, just those random instances, it, it just would really felt like it would, it would go a long way, um, and, and you know, just helping me chip away some some extra durability within the army so um that was kind of essentially my chapter master definitely required that that bit of explanation on him then uh the sanguinary priest is, is quite pretty standard selfless healer on him for his warlord trait for the double uh flat three heal flat three heal and uh you know bring back a guy for free every turn you know kind of sucks when you know for your opponent when a sanguinary guard comes back in a turn you never like to see that guy hits like a truck <laughs> yeah plus putting guys in assault phase you know yeah Twice if you need it as well for one CP, so definitely can you know escalate or, or uh, increase the, the you know the the game in, in terms of uh, momentum for you depending on what you need and and when you need it. So definitely huge. And then Teeth of Terra on his uh, you know for his relic just to also give him a bit more oomph to his punch. You know because I, I realized that before I was running the uh, Icon of the Angel, um, which was again a, I think a pretty good piece of tech. And as you guys maybe have found out about my game and Brad, I'm sure you've, you've learned more about me recently. But 
I'm very much a, a tech guy and um, love these little tech pieces built into my list, but just kind of felt like another uh, ability to actually use him essentially as a trading piece if need be uh, would actually go a long way. So been running that for a while. Um, going into my librarian, uh, he has the Warlord Trade Psychic Mastery for plus one to cast. He will uh, know two powers uh, and be able to, uh, oh, sorry, he knows three powers, including Smite, um, and then also be able to deny two, which is pretty big. Um, you know, again, the reason why I felt like Psychic Mastery was important on him and just being able to cast additional powers is because you know for one cp he can cast three powers a turn so all of a sudden he's quite prevalent at, at doing things that you need him to do when you need it again like there's gotcha moments kind of built into him unfortunately but i always let my opponents know for example if i know you only have two denies i'll let you know before the game hey i know i have two casts but just remember that for one cp i can cast another one so i will personally still try and bait the person out with with like a smite and a psychic scourge if it's up to them if they want to deny them but at least at least i've i've made them aware of the situation so then when the null zone happens for one cp they're not you know looking at me like wow like what's going on here and then the armor indomitus kind of just sums up you know his uh his, his uh, relic there which is you know gives him a two plus save gives him that extra wound which actually i felt like has gone a long way for me with him just because sometimes there's a lot of two damage in the game and all you need is that one extra save to offset the damage and he lives and then you flat heal three and he's back up to four out of nowhere um and then of course the uh three up and vulnerable save once per game which you know might not seem like it's, it's important on him but in a lot of you know angel sacrifice Pricing that man it's just yep. it's, that can flip a game like just crazily that's that's exactly what he does and i i did that in, in one of the games this weekend i went into a, a blob of the nine warriors with death company sanguinary guard in him and uh just simply you know during that interrupt pop give, us the, give us that combo real quick brother so people everybody we were basically like yelling about how awesome it is and people are like i have yeah. no idea what they're talking about uh with that with the the armor Plus the uh, stratagem to tell everybody real quick, then continue off your list. I just want to tell everybody what you, one of the things you can do with this, because this is game changing sometimes. It's absolutely game changing. And whether it's on, uh, you know, whether it's him with the armor Indominus or even the Sanguinary Priest, for example, or any character for that matter, it's huge. But the reason why it's so big on him and focusing on the armor Indominus is just because in a game where you know he's not as important in terms of, you know, finding that win path or that that end result, um, what, what essentially you do is if there's a tough unit that you need to shift and you, you kind of have done the map on it and you understand that it's going to take more than you know one of your big heavy hitters to get the job done in order to see that that path to victory um you essentially charge into combat unit the example would be death company and sanguinary guard in this instance you also charge him in and what you're trying to do is you're trying to position him in such a way that he's going to be with an engagement range of majority of the unit now i know obviously bigger blobs will be difficult to achieve so you kind of have to pick and choose your battles and obviously what you're charging we'll give the example of like you know a hive tyrant for example that guy if he doesn't go down after that first swing in in theory and he has the obliterax, you know, whatever relic it is and some some craziness. It's going to be a, feel, a real feel bad when he interrupts and picks up the entire other squad. And there you kind of are uh, sitting at the middle of the table in combat with him and you, you can't fall back in charge. So what he basically does is one CP angelic sacrifice. He all of a sudden has to fight into the librarian. And uh, then at that point, you pop the uh, invulnerable save. Hope you roll your three ups. But that's kind of it in a nutshell. Uh, and that kind of ensures those two units survive and they're able to uh, get the job done, hopefully. Just so big on that. Continue on. I just I wanted everybody to know how that works because it's such a big deal with your characters on that because you yeah. can effectively almost guarantee that any one big thing 
is going to die before it gets to interrupt because it only gets to attack that character and then you get to put the beats on it with everybody else. Yeah, 100%. And that, that goes for so many. I mean, we can we can keep going, but, but we won't. But that goes for <laughs> things like even if you're trying to get more movement on something and like I'm, I'm someone who's a big, uh, you know, provider, you know, just someone who believes in, you know, movement outside of the movement phase, which I think is a common thing that a lot of top players, I, I see them do. And basically, I'll, I'll use that to make sure that other units around him, once he, you know, performs that angelic sacrifice, is able to then use other units to get movement off of that charge target, if that makes sense, just to get deeper into an area of the board where I need to be, or depending on how I want to flip the scenario. Um, but anyway, we can we can go on from that. I, I love it just as much as you guys do, obviously, and it's just such a big, big part of the list too. So going into the troops, really simple. It's going to be double incursors and uh, one auto bolt rifle intercessor squad. I mean, they kind of, you know, they they do what they say on the tin. Really simple there. Um, then um, I'll save the best elite for last, and I, and I don't really mean that, but uh, it's going to be the uh, death company with with three thunder hammers at first with two chainswords. And, you know, they have the Forlorn Fury, which can add a lot of pressure early on. And that's definitely going to be, you know, a huge part of, you know, that that threat range that you can, you know, basically propose early on and, and definitely people have to respect. Then I have the three squads of Sanguinary Guard, which is going to be the, uh, you know, seven man, seven man and uh, a five man, seven with all axes, seven with all swords and uh, five with all swords. And then we have uh, also five combat scouts, which people also look at me with the third eye when when they see those in the list, you know, and then I even tell them, oh, wait, wait, but you have a camel cloak on them. And then uh, I get a good chuckle out of that. But uh, uh, but the best elite and everyone was super shocked about it. And I, I think I had the, the best response from all weekend was uh, the three aggressors randomly planted in my list that, uh, yeah, people kept on looking at me with the third eye about them, too. But uh. <laughs> hey, from the guy that's got Vulcan in his background, I'm all on the aggressors. <laughs> it's a very you guess a very like eclectic uh kind of uh picks here i'm interested to hear about those actually so and how they did um i'm not gonna yeah. say it right now i'm not gonna ask yet brad i want to but i'm gonna hold off i'm gonna wait let's talk about this this game and then we're actually let's let me give it the, i guess i should probably get manix list before we continue on yeah that. give me give me manix list before you go on for go ahead sorry. Oh, wait sorry the, the last two uh two units uh the oh. eradicators and, uh, and the storm can't yeah, we should, those. i was probably can't forget about the storm with the whole reason the scouts are in there yeah and, and the eradicators uh I heard they uh, they occasionally do some damage. They do some so, things. Yeah. <laughs> so Manic was running Leviathan. Big shock. He had a Tyranid Prime, a Tyranid Three Tyrant Guard, Neurothrope to cast spells from 500 miles back somehow and still get to the front. A Winged Hive Tyrant with said Reaper of Obliterax on it. A big unit of Warriors. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> Maliceptor. Ah, ah, ah. Three Venomthropes to get that minus one. An Exocrine, double Harpy, one with a synaptic enhancement on it. And then we have a double detachment. So we've got the second winged hive tyrant, a unit of three warriors, and the unit of zoanthropes to do shenanigans. Going into this match, how did you feel about this and what mission were we playing? Yeah, so um, we're, we're playing mission uh, 33, which was uh, Secure Precious Artifacts, so the one where you can move objectives, um, you know, taking turns with it. Um, going into it, uh, I didn't feel too great, as I don't think anybody does right now, playing into <laughs> Tyranids. So I think I'd be an absolute madman if I said I felt happy about it. <laughs> um, but uh, over the course of the weekend, I was able to play two other gentlemen on the way there, and, you know, they were definitely not not bad players. They were, they were actually both really good players um, with Tyranids, um, and was able to pull up results there, one against Leviathan uh, in round three, and then one against uh, Kraken in round five. So, I mean, I had my fair share of swings into the uh, the Tyranids, and I didn't, uh, you know, I knew it wasn't going to be easy, especially hearing that this guy was 500 points to 500 points going into round six with me. So that definitely didn't feel, you know, too great, but, um, you know, I felt, I felt actually pretty decent going in. I like it. So 
did you feel that there was a good mission for you in this versus this uh, five objective mission where he can kind of push the center? Or would you rather have a six objective mission to spread out a little bit? Yes. I mean, going back to just like, like game three, for example, I played on a scouring, which, uh, which didn't feel good just because the nine Tyrion warriors went to the middle of the table. Um, and I had to really, you know, overextend into them, which I hate doing. Uh, that's just not the kind of player I am, but kind of was forced to in that sense. Um, but you know what? It, it ended up paying off for me in that game. And, you know, going into mission 33 in round six, I kind of knew that the similar thing would happen especially as Leviathan, you just have that durability to take the punches and kind of roll with the hits. So it didn't it didn't feel great to know that that was just an, an automatic button that he could press at any point um, and pretty much just say, yeah, it's just not happening anymore. Very guard weapons with that two damage. They can pop the this, this strat to go down to one yeah. damage. Then, of course, they can pop the imperative to get that five up in vuln. Uh, and of course, and they are Leviathan and Synapse, which means you're only wounding in the fours taking away a lot of your just strengths right there uh, going yeah. into it. So what did you choose for your secondaries? And if you know what he was uh, going into, what was your overall game plan kind of going into this game? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I actually just to kind of, you know, look at myself in the mirror and I figure, you know, I'm, I'm five and zero at this point. Um, I'm just going to give him the best game that I can. And, and in order to do that, I have to pick secondaries that I'm comfortable with, even though it may have gone against my, my better judgment. Um, you know, just you always have that voice in the back of your head telling you otherwise, but I, uh, I went with, um, Stranglehold, uh, Oath the Moment, um, and Retrieve Knockman Data. So that was the the three that I went for. And those are essentially the three that I, I go with, again, you know, quite often. So I'm, I'm comfortable playing into that game plan um, and definitely understand my army's tempo. And I feel like a lot of, you know, people listening to this, um, that's something that really you have to really grasp. Uh, I feel like when you're when you're the general of your own army, you have to understand the tempo and, and burn rate of your force and knowing when, when things are and aren't expendable. So I think that that's how, what's helped me kind of you know, grow and go a long way. Like but, it. Did he take something similar? I'm assuming at that point in time. So yeah, uh, it looks like he was going to take a definitely take a strangle. Yeah. So he he ended up going with I believe it was stranglehold. That's right. He went stranglehold, psychic interrogation, and grind them down. Um. And uh, you know, we we again had a little chuckle together before the game because he said, "Hey, uh, I think I need like fifty something odd points to uh, get into top eight, but be nice to keep my you know perfect streak alive." And I'm like, <laughs> "Oh Christ! Oh Christ! Here we go." <laughs> He's putting the pedal down already. So, what was your general strategy going into this? Obviously, you got to, you're with your secondaries. You're looking to take that middle from another army that wants to take that middle. So, were you looking to commit barely early, kind of you know toe touch, come back and go, or were you looking for that you know big turn three where you were going to try to flip the switch and take that middle and try to keep that middle? Yeah, so I mean, right off the bat, the first thing I went through my mind was I hope he didn't talk to the other two Tyranid players that I played against. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, was the, I was like, if I'm going to be successful, I hope he hasn't talked to them. But uh, no, I, I just pretty much knew that I had to slow down that game as, as best as possible. Um, that is not a game where you can ever go head to head with a list like that. Um, you just end up picking up your models, period, by turn three, if I'm lucky. So slowing it down was the, you know, you know, the biggest, you know, part of the of the strategy. And obviously you already touched on it, but essentially committing as absolutely little as possible to that central objective um, in order to get my points. And I understand that when you take oath of moment, going second is huge. And I was very fortunate in this instance to go second. So I knew I could play my game um, at a decent, you know, at a decent level in order to get points. So that was definitely something in the back of my mind. But the, obviously, there's always that fear factor where he just goes turn one because now he's going first where he just says, OK, no problem. Nine tiered warriors advancing them towards the middle. 
maybe five inches away from the objective or even closer. And then here's a malicept right behind those two central ruins. Here's two hive tyrants. Here's this, here's that. And you kind of sit there twiddling your thumbs for, for five turns. So it's always a real possibility. So walk me through like how the game kind of played out. Give us give us the run back. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and of course, for those of you who literally want to watch the whole game, how it played out, you know, shout out to Joe from, from War Games Live. That guy does an incredible job. Um, you guys can literally watch it there. It was, you know, the last game on day two. But uh, what essentially happened was I knew that, you know, him taking grind and I I feel like a lot of people don't really take this into account, but if you know you have some sort of say in your opponent's secondaries, it is absolutely crucial to use that to your advantage. And I don't mean that in like a sneaky or anything, but um, I knew that because of how defensive I was setting up, he didn't expect that. And I think that's why he decided to go with grind them down. Um, grind them down being, obviously, you know, for those of you who maybe not remember off the top of your head, is just killing more than your opponent within the battle round. But, it's huge you know, for you going second on that, too, because of the fact that is. he, I'm assuming he looks at your board and goes, oh, it's Blood Angels. He's for sure going to push up. He's going to have to punch me to do damage. Yeah. And then you hid. Uh, and you you can, though. The other thing is, is you also know how aggressive you have to go, because if he kills yeah. two things or or if he kills just too many things in a turn, you're like, OK, well, you just got Ryan this turn and they just deal with it after that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just just touching on point you mentioned uh i'm someone who if i'm going to lose multiple units this might sound kind of silly but if i'm going to give up um like one or two maybe even three units towards someone's grind i'm someone who actually you know paces my units a bit differently then because i'll give you that one extra in that phase to kind of do a big play in that turn because then i know the next turn you won't get grind them down against me because that's just or, or if you do then i probably lost the game anyway but you know what i mean like i will actually just right. embrace the extendable parts of I love that because a lot of times uh, you see this and people think they can get grind, uh, but you usually actually get two big turns and then you don't get grind the rest of the turn. So it can be a, a trap. Things like grind, assassinate, and stuff like that. I love when somebody picks a secondary that I can try to deny uh, yeah. their points on it. Yeah. That, that was a you know that was a big factor into my game plan. That's a problem. A lot of times, taking things like assassinate and things like that because you worry what they just hide the characters, you know. Or well, I'm, I'm also playing. I, I love it for me because I play Eldar. I'll just run away with yeah. my battle cry of not yeah. the face. No, <laughs> like he chose assassinate. I was going to run away anyways. <laughs> so, but uh, uh, he goes first. He pushes up. I'm assuming he, he pushes up a little bit into yeah. that middle. Yeah, so he, he pushes up into the middle, and uh, his harpies come, you know, very aggressively into me, um, just to try and, you know, dispatch of some of my, you know, key assets. Um, I believe he shoots actually in cursors early on, which I didn't really like, to be honest, because I'm someone who people ignore my cursors, and my cursors get all the dirty work done late. So I was like, damn, this guy knows what he's doing. This isn't uh, this isn't part of the plan. Um, Leave my opsec alone. <laughs> no, no, he he definitely his his pri his target priority was on point all game. He understand he he understood how to approach my, my army, so. Um, he did say, I think before the game that he understood blood angels or, or whatnot, or he had experience. So, uh, not in my favor, but yeah, just, just like I said, though, just seeing basically, you know, letting him dictate the pace of the game, because I'm a very reactive player and my list is a very reactive style list. So I'm someone who needs to see what my opponent's going to do. And then I'll essentially be able to pull the trigger, um, and make the decisions after that. So I, I'm not someone who's super aggressive and I, I know how to be aggressive and I know how to, um, push, you know, push the board when need be, but um, and especially in that game, it definitely was the first thing going through my mind. So I had to pace out the first couple of turns into him uh, until we got to about turn three, I'd like to say. Nice. So how are you thinking after the first turn here? So you he pushes up, you counter yeah. with... Oh, I, I just threw... Uh, actually, uh, it 
was oh, maybe you can call it a cheeky play, but he actually dropped three spore mines on the objective um, in order to block me off from or, or deter me from from going to it. But uh, I was super happy that he threw three spore mines there, which I'm sure Tyranid players maybe haven't seen this before, but I use them as movement. Um, because the you know, first, first question I asked before I touched a single model is, is I, can I declare a charge on them? The moment he said yes um, was the absolute moment that I uh, triggered perfect. I'm going to put the least non-committing unit forward right now, which is, I believe it was five uh, auto rifle intercessors. Like the least least punchy, least whatever, <laughs> other, than my, other than my scouts. And I basically moved them out, didn't shoot the spore mines at all, of course, because why would we ever do that? And and just declared, I believe it was like a five-inch charge on them. And he's like, are you sure they're going to explode into mortals? And I said, by all means. And I made sure to string one guy back to my captain for the five of heal no pain on the way in. And I think I only lost one guy or maybe I lost a wound. I can't remember, but very little, very little. And then I essentially just took the, the board. I like that. That's a sweet move, though. Because you just, he, he doesn't even, he can't do enough mortals to kill you in the first place. And it, <clears throat> because of the max they could do is nine if they roll maximum, if all three were on yeah. you. But either way, you're still taking that objective for free. Not for free, but for the least amount of yeah. loss as possible. It's pretty yeah. sweet. And just like that, it was three for, yeah, three for oh, three for, for, three for stranglehold. And I uh, had five intercessors out in the oak, so I felt comfortable. Yeah, that's pretty good. You're, so you feel fairly confident after round one, you lo- you didn't lose that much. Uh, were you able to take care of the harpies in your turn? Uh, so what ended up happening was, is he actually encircled the prey with one of them. Um, and then I actually, I can't remember, I know, actually I didn't take down um, one of the harpies. And I brought it down to, I believe it was one or two wounds, but I did some, awesome. some work on it. Yeah, I did some work, but, uh, you know, I... You know, for those of you paying attention too, it's just like he also didn't kill anything of mine. So there was three grinded them down points that he just lost out on turn one. Then, then his turn two, he gets a little bit more aggressive because now he's realizing, okay, like how slow are we going here? So he kind of brought venom throws forward, brought a bunch of things forward, and in my head, um, I don't know if a lot of people think about this, but when there's someone or when there's something of yours that your opponent can use um, as as charge distance and as as movement, um, I'm someone who if I can literally not take saves, I would. Obviously, you have to take saves when you have to take saves, but if, if let's say it was only invul- an invulnerable save that was keeping me alive and I needed that unit to die, I would just forfeit the invulnerable save to see them go down so that my opponent can't get movement out of that unit. So when he like popped off a big smite from his zone throws into those like few intercessors I had left, whatever it was, um, I just picked up the squad gladly and I was like, thank the Lord, because now he's not charging it with like the nine warriors. Yeah, you got that rope. huge extra movement from the charge mm-hmm. itself to get the pile in and they consolidate. That's yep. And then um and then I think again he only killed the the one intercessor squad that's all I gave him. So Harpy came on, came a bit closer. And I remember the uh the other one I I, I can't remember where, but it also kind of flew in a different direction to kind of shoot shoot me or, or what. I again I don't remember off the top of my head, but what ended up happening on my turn was, and again, this was just a, maybe to me, it was a simple play, maybe not to others, but um, before I moved any models, looked at the game, looked at the board. And I, I do really recommend that to a lot of players is just really take that deep breath before your turn uh, even starts and see what the game state really looks like. And it dictates a lot about what you actually have to, you know, really um, put into that turn because just because you have things that you could do, doesn't mean you have to do them. Um, I've learned a lot of the time. And um, first thing I asked him, good advice. first thing I asked them you know, was how many models do you have in the middle objective? And he said three Tyranid warriors, and it looks like one venom throat or, or whatever it was. So I was like, oh, so you have four models total. And I thought, okay, um, is this when I go with Sanguinary Guard? And I just, again, because I took that step back and what, what felt like a minute in my head, but probably three seconds in real time because of how many times I've, I've practiced with this army, um, I was able to actually put just five scouts on the objective, stringing them back to my captain, making them offsec, and was able, again, to just get a simple stranglehold both at the moment, and I was actually able to kill one of the harpies, denying him, grind them down again, I believe it was, or 
or no, sorry, I killed three Tyrant Guard in that turn, and I uh, gave him a four on primary. So that's how I uh, denied grind and got all my points that turn. Nice, very nice. That's very nice. Yeah. So we're coming good. in. You're you're actually fairly ahead on this point point in time. So we're yep. going into round three. You've actually scored. You're up by six, six, you're by double digits right now. So you have to be going feeling pretty decent in this. However, both of you have a lot of resources left going into the end of the game here. So, right. what, so what, what what was the what happened and what was the plan from there? Because he's pushing to the point where you just have to now. I'm going to have to commit some stuff. I do like the fact that you waited because you see so many people slamming everything they have into the middle. It kills something, and then they just get murdered right after that. That don't don't do that, everyone. Don't do that. <laughs> it doesn't work for you. Hmm. So. So I, I did make a mistake at this point, and I feel like we could probably touch upon this. You know, if you guys wanted to touch upon this, you know, in the uh, you know part two, um, but it's, it's a bit more, you know, you know, here here nor there about what could have been. So I guess we could we could talk about it more afterwards. We, we will go into the branding with that. We'll start the branding. I want to hear what the I want to hear the mistake though. Definitely, I want to hear I want to hear what you think you did here. Yeah, so it, it, it's it's so overlooked by so many players, but um, I'm someone who is very much that just I look at the mission and I see how do I win this mission, and I I play against the scoreboard. I don't play against my opponent, if that makes sense. Now, obviously, yeah, so same, much I say that yeah. just constantly. Yeah. So like, like they're, they're on the same board as you and you're respecting everything that that army can do, but how am I going to get that, that score that I need to win this game? And how am I going to deny them in order to do it? Now the the big mistake that I did make and shame on me because I, uh, I came up to this, I came with this up with this conclusion again in precious artifacts in particular, if someone is consistently scoring that bonus every round, a single, if you give them a turn of a four on primary one turn, it actually does nothing to the scoreboard. You need to give them two fours primary wise in order to actually see an impact on that 45. So I did not take that into account. And as I mentioned, I went in with the, the death company into the tyrant guard in order to deny the uh, the primary, which again, at the time felt good because I was denying a grind, grind them down. So I guess in hindsight, I guess it wasn't as bad as I'm making it sound, but um, I definitely didn't have to uh, overcommit there for absolutely no reason. And those death company could have been you know, now moving on to this point, and that's the whole point of the segue, going towards the middle of the board to do some actual real damage to uh, help me out long-term in the game is what I'm getting at. The entirety of the game is kind of fought over the middle for this, especially with you choosing to strangle an oath and him also choosing strangle. So, and you're both basically hitting the threes. And that's a big deal. And I love you made that, that you made that point though, because a lot of times you see people going in and trying to get a deny. And I'm always for, I I mean, I literally start off every turn with how am I going to score points? I'm going to deny points. How am I setting up for the next turn? But when you look at the, the board, if you denying points means absolutely nothing because you look at prior, sorry, secure, not priority. That right. uh, you're you're effectively just getting a fifteen on that. You know what I mean? So yeah. you're you're rocking fifteen points. So you you have to score thirty more, which is fairly easy at that point in time. You know they get an eight eight. Yeah, you know you're getting on this, so you have to really figure out if it's worth sacrificing things. You know what I mean? Or if you're just like oh. Why do I need to do that? Or just the the other way around. Don't go for pressuring out to get a 12 when a bunch of eights would have already given you your yep. 45 points and you're risking yourself. I see that all the time. Right. I've been there. I've done that quite a few times, actually. That is a common mistake. <laughs> it is. It's, it's hard, though, because you have to really juggle between having stuff left, giving away points. You know what I mean? What do I need to, to use to get those points? And that's where it's doing a little homework, though, is, is a big deal, too, because you got to know how 
bunch of stuff and it's easy for you now because you've been playing Blood Angels forever. So, so you know the damage output of your army versus different toughnesses versus different saves mm-hmm. and everything else. But it's a big yeah. deal. I Take a second, everyone. Just use your dice, whatever you want to do. Get the big brain out. But like, oh, how many times am I going to hit? How many times am I going to wound? How many times is he going to save? Fatal pains, blah, blah, blah. How, what am I doing? You know, like, what do I need right. to commit to kill that? So don't undercommit, but definitely don't overcommit. And then you just have a ton of units out there that are just doing absolutely nothing besides standing in front of your opponent's army. Right. And I'm, I'm sure both of uh, both of you guys can appreciate this, but if it was up to me and I didn't have to charge a single thing all game, I wouldn't if I meant I was going to win the game. Um, <laughs> all game. You know what I mean? Movement phase, yep. man. That's it. It's everything. It's mobility. 100%. I love that about that because you see so many. I did that, by the way. Uh, and I went after it. No, we were we were talking about it. It was actually a pickup game afterwards. And I was with Robert Gustafsson from Sweden and Rich Hughes from Hamilton and Canada. And we were setting up a game. And I go, no, he's like, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, no, you're going to sit here. And you're going to mm-hmm. put one unit on the middle and strangle. The yep. next turn, I'm going to do this and this. No, you're going to sit here. And you're going to put one unit in the middle for strangle. He's like, yep. what the hell? I go, your opponent took engage. You're going last. You're effectively, you're winning right now. I said at the time it was a fiver, but like you're winning by seven points. Make your opponent do something exactly the same way you're talking to you. Just make him do things that you have the opportunity. And also when you ask your opponent so many more questions like this, you're giving him more opportunities to make mistakes, miss points, not get his secondaries and stuff like that. I love your game plan. Yeah. So then obviously, you know, that's a perfect segue into, you know, I put the onus on him. He has to make a move especially with me going second on this mission. So um, at this point, score-wise, he is on the back foot, and I am ahead in this game. But uh, this is the turn where he does go, not all in, but he pretty much takes the entire center of the board. He does exactly what he has to. Um, and just those nine warriors cover the objective. The Venom Thropes uh, jump on the other side of the scouts, which in hindsight for him was a mistake because uh, he was aware of my heroic intervention with the Sanguinary Guard, but he did in that moment obviously had a little, uh, he did forget, but he was very close. Uh, to some degree, so I was able to heroic into them. But uh, the high tyrants got a bit more aggressive. You know, one of the harpies came down that was wounded, but he was playing very defensive because God forbid I denied him and grind them down again for a third <laughs> time, which also would have been the game, I guess. So he was smart to do so. But you know, he definitely played it. You know, at the right time, he he knew how to push. He knew what to do. And um, another thing too that I think goes a long way that people don't uh, really consider, and not to you know put on a, a clinic of, of what they do in games like this, but. If you know that you can't fight the army head on and there are resources on their side of the board that you just can't handle all at once, a really good strategy that I found in my game, or at least that works for me, maybe not for everyone, is killing all of the units that that technically don't matter to the list because then it finds itself holding objectives with things that does matter if they want to actually play the game with you. So all of a sudden, that Malice Scepter and Exocrine um, because he was afraid I was going to throw a storm on it, he had to go sit it on an objective on his priority target. Um, or it's just sorry, his priority. I call it priority target still, but on his uh, same on his yeah, <laughs> home. Yeah. On, on on the mission, you know, on the objective. So it's just like something like that could go a long way because now all of a sudden that mouse after isn't getting as aggressive as it needs to be in that game. But he realized it, and I realized it, and yeah, he did the right thing though because a storm was coming for him next turn if he if he did do that. You it's know, so ominous. Storm is coming. coming. <laughs> Well, this is for everybody, because we didn't preface this at the beginning of the game. This is a two-point game, so any of these things now makes makes or breaks the game. 
yeah, it was 90, uh, 92 to 94 in his favor. And here's here's how essentially we got there. So, I mean, on, on this turn, I, I knew I had to do something because uh, I need my oath. I need my strangle. Um, the only uh, disappointing part, and, you know, I, I don't I don't blame Dice. Dice are what they are. Um, I definitely could have, you know, done a lot more damage to the Tyranid Warriors and shooting on the way in. And my Eradicators killed uh, a whopping zero uh, going into it. So it was a bit of a downer there. And, you know, I, I watched back the stream and a lot of the chat was like, oof. You know, like it was one of those, you know, um, but then the same one regard went in uh, at that point, I was, I was committed to at least seven going in. So the seven did. But the uh, the problem was, is they also didn't get as much done as, as they could have. And I only killed actually three um, out of the nine. And uh, pretty sure you guys could put two and two together there. But the six swung back and uh, picked up all of them. And that is what won him the game, because at that point, that was no strangle for me. Uh, no two points on oath. I only had one that turn in general from no one falling back. Um, so that was the swing in the match. Um, however, he did know that. That I had more resources coming down the pipeline. So at that point, he knew taking a defensive position and not overextending uh, was the right option because I had another larger wave coming next turn. Um, so he, again, he did the right thing because in my head at this point, I know that the game is now the ball's in his court with a big swing like that. So I needed him to overextend into me in order for me to get back into it. So essentially, if he came to my, to my to, you know, to try and push into me, which was an awkward scenario that I built with my, you know, essentially my castle behind that that ruin so it was not easy it was not an easy charge maybe on stream it looked easy or it looked like he was close but he was really had to finish his charge way at the back of that ruin just to get into contact with me and my captain was right near the front so that even if he tried to touch it with turning warriors i was turning off his offset so he didn't realize that at least so i know kudos to him um you know but from there he took a defensive stance which i you know i hope he wouldn't do and realized you know what it's like this game is essentially mine unless you come remove me so um, you know, again, kudos, uh, kudos to him though on, on playing that correctly. Nice. I have so much more for the Brad Nage. I'm ready. Yeah. You ready? Is the is, is the Brad Nage's body ready? I'm ready for the Brad Nage. I have so many questions. It's like a 1300s, like uh, Catholic, like um, like what would you say with a Catholic mass from the 1300s? Is like going to a Brad Nage. You know, you just um, <laughs> yeah, just, just imagine <laughs> that. I'm doing That's, the and I'm doing the entire Brad Nage in Latin. Yeah, he's doing it all in Latin. We're gonna we're all gonna eat wafers and facing um, away from the entire <laughs> community. I will be partaking in uh, as long as there's wine and some wine. Yeah, the wine. That's uh, that's the other part of it. So, all right, Sam. Thanks for joining us in part one, man. Looking forward to part two, the Bradning Tower, and uh, we'll see you all guys there. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to check out our other content at theartofwar40k.com. We have The Art of War Vanilla with Nick Natavati, Tom Depotti, and Paul Murphy. We, of course, have the very Australian, very down-under, Art of War down-under with the late and very great Adam Camilleri. We, of course, are The Art of War Pistachio, the flavor you didn't know you loved until you tried it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Join us for part two. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.